you are in for a treat because support for today's episode comes from Jenny Kane. And one of the things that I love the most about Jenny Kane is how seamlessly all of their staples go together. Their iconic styles truly, truly make getting dressed so easy. Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, so think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off. Now, if you love sweaters, Jenny Kane has an unrivaled selection that will become your new obsession. They are known for their super luxe yet lightweight sweaters, and they do cashmere pretty much better than anyone. My Jenny Kane Everyday Sweater is hands down one of my favorite and most versatile sweaters that I own. First off, it is so super soft and cozy, I feel like I am getting a hug every time I wear it. And its wool cashmere blend makes it a great option from fall through spring. For those cooler summer evenings, Jenny Kane also has a great selection of cotton and linen sweaters. And if that wasn't enough, they also have an incredible rewards program where you can earn up to 10% back with every purchase. Find your new staples at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com. So JennyKane.com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Imagine having a bra that you actually want to wear. And maybe this seems inconceivable if you don't already own a bra by today's sponsor, Honey Love, which has transformed the bra game. With Honey Love, say goodbye to underwire and bulky fabrics that trap heat. Honey Love is so comfortable, you may even forget that you're wearing it. Now is the time to spring clean your bra drawer. For a limited time only, you can get Honey Love on sale. Get 20% off your entire order with our exclusive link, honeylove.com slash birthful. Support our show and check them out at honeylove.com forward slash birthful. Now, currently, I have been very partial to my Honey Love Silhouette bra. It is super soft and it has these really lovely 3D printed velvet details that actually add support. And I can even crisscross the straps in the back. Also, like all of Honey Love's bras, it features supportive bonding that eliminates the need for underwire without sacrificing lift. I can tell you I'm never in a rush to take it off. Plus, Honey Love also has incredibly comfortable shapewear, matching underwear, tanks, and leggings for everyday support. Treat yourself to the best bras on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com birthful. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off at honeylove.com birthful. And after you purchase, they're going to ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them Birthful sent you. Treat yourself to honey love.
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's birth story is with Elena Gay. Elena woke up excited and happy, thinking her water had broken, only to discover it was blood. Her planned birth center birth turned into an induction at the hospital, but thanks to compassionate care providers that focused on her well-being, as well as on a respectful transfer of care, Elena had a healthy and empowering birth. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast. Talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be, and happy new year, happy decade. Oh my goodness, if what you hear is helpful, make sure you subscribe. It's free, and that way you won't miss a thing. Okay, so my guest today is Elena Gay, and her birth story includes a very respectful transfer from a birth center birth to a hospital birth due to a placental abruption. Now, placental abruptions, uh, which are quite rare, are when the placenta partially or completely detaches from the uterine wall before the baby is born. And of course, this is something that can cause a lot of fear and anxiety and can in some cases be a significant emergency. But like in this story, that is not always the case. And that's why I appreciated her coming to share it because it gives us a window into lots of variations of possibilities. So let's get to it. Elena, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a really long time. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And um, I was really... Incur like it was exciting and encouraging when you reached out to me because you have a unique story in that you were planning for a home birth and you ended up with a transfer to to the hospital. So that yeah, or a birth center birth to a birth center birth. Okay, so yeah. before we get deep into that, it, because it is an unusual story, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, yeah. Um, so I, my husband and I had been married um, for about three and a half years by the time our daughter was about to be born. Um, and I had been interested in birth, like even before that, like long before I was going to be a mom, just found it really fascinating. Um, I think in grad school, um, had stumbled upon the business of being born. Um, and even though that was not like my field of study at all, like I was an English major, um, ended up kind of writing about like the rhetoric around natural childbirth a lot and was just like super super into it you know found your podcast um I think yeah still years before I was even pregnant and listened to it a lot um and so definitely knew going into it that I wanted a natural birth um and just seemed like something that um you know uh was kind of a rite of passage and it was really important to me um and so uh yeah so that was sort of me coming into pregnancy Mm, and I love see, that was very different from my experience in that I got <laughs> pregnant and didn't know anything like and it wasn't right. that I that was an accidental or, or an unplanned pregnancy but I just didn't research didn't know and I am right. really encouraged when I hear more and more people that are digging into and reading about and considering what not just the having a baby part, but what having being pregnant and becoming a parent, like being more intentional about what that could look like and what their wishes are before it happens. Right. Right. I felt like really fortunate going into it that I wasn't like playing catch up and trying to figure everything out and, you know, not discovering until last trimester that I wanted a midwife and a natural birth and everything that I kind of knew going into it what I was after. Yeah. Cause those nine months go back quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what, what were those things you wanted? What were your wishes? 
Um, so I knew if possible, um, you know, if I was staying a low risk pregnancy that I wanted to try for an out of hospital birth, um, had just, you know, seen enough of those beautiful videos of birth center and home births and, um, read all of those stories and knew that that was something I really wanted um, and to have a midwife attended birth and um, to just have as little as intervention as possible, you know, like if possible to have um, basically no interventions at all to just have total freedom of movement. Um, and that was the goal. And I was, um, I wouldn't say like distrustful, but just kind of wary of a traditional hospital experience, like um, knew a ton of friends who had had great ones, like knew it was totally possible to have a natural birth in the hospital. Um, but if I, if I could, I wanted to be um, out of a hospital. And why do you think, what was making the difference for you in terms of going home when, you know, being at home for birth instead of going to a hospital? Um, like, and not, like for you personally, not necessarily yeah. the providers and that, but like what, what motivated you for that choice? Um, I think, um, you know, knowing that in a hospital, like even if it was going to be a natural setting, like there was a possibility, like you never know who's going to be on call, like what the nurses are going to be like. You may get all of these promises that, you know, you'll have a super easy time doing a natural birth and we'll support you in this. And then, you know, knowing people who got there and that wasn't the case. Um, and uh, just kind of being nervous about about that. And like, you know, it's not that I was against anything in the hospital. I just didn't want to have to um, like, you know, fight constantly at every little thing or like have, you know, have to like explain why I wanted something like delayed cord clamping or anything like that. Like just wanted it to be kind of discussed beforehand. Like I know the people who are gonna be there, um, everyone's supporting like what we wanna do. Um, versus like running the risk of um, not knowing who's going to be there, how they're going to feel about it, how much like we might have to put back, push back to get um, what we wanted. Mm -hmm. And so you find yourself pregnant. Yeah. And you like, how quickly did you set up this team after? Oh my gosh. Like, it was so fast because I, I think I had been researching like midwives and birth centers and things in the area like before I was even pregnant. So I knew exactly where I was going. Um, and I think I, yeah, I think as soon as I found out I was pregnant, like I called them, got set up for my 12 week appointment. Um, I think I went to like a meet the midwife day that this, this particular birth center did like, um, and I was maybe like five weeks pregnant at the time. Like it was really fast. Like I had a, a pretty strong idea of what I wanted. Um, and then started looking at doulas. I think in my first trimester, um, I only interviewed one um, and she was just the perfect fit. It turned out great. Um, and so I think, yeah, I, I think I found her and hired her in the first trimester too. Mm. And aside for setting up, from setting up your um, birth team, what other things did you do to prepare for giving birth I feel like a lot like I wrote this down in my my daughter's baby book recently like just all the things um I uh we did you know all of the classes that the birth center offered for like breastfeeding and newborn care and we did um a birthing class um my husband's schedule at the time wasn't really conducive to actually going to the birth center for the class so we ended up doing um an online one the um the mama natural birth course um, and I, and I think you, you had her on the show actually at one point. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and so I, we did that one and that was 
sort of last trimester. And I think some, a lot of that, I think it felt almost more like it was for my husband to kind of learn how to support me. Um, Cause I had just been, you know, reading and listening and watching videos and things about birth for so long that um, a lot of this stuff in the class wasn't new to me, but it, it was really helpful, I think, to go through with him and to, to talk and be intentional about, um, about like what our plan was and his role as my support person. Um, and I, you know, read books. I think I read spiritual, not spiritual midwifery, um, the um, other anime Gascon one. Guide to Childbirth. Yes, that one, you know, the Mama Natural Week to Week Guide to Pregnancy. Um, just, you know, whatever books I can get my hands on. I think a few more, I can even remember all of them. Um, but I was just like, I was so excited for it and so into it um, that, you know, it didn't feel like just prep work. Like it was, it was fun. Um, and then on the, um, the more like physical side of preparation, just trying to stay active and, you know, doing like hip stretches and like the womb squat every day. And um, uh, yeah, just all of those kinds of things where you, you can't like truly practice for labor. Like you, you don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but just trying to keep my body healthy and um, yeah, open mm -hmm. and ready for, for birth. And how was your husband feeling uh, you had done tons of preparation ahead of time. Yeah. Um, maybe for him, it was a bit new. What were his feelings towards all this? Um, you know, I think from the very beginning, he was just like, he he knew how important it was to me. Like he knew how, how much I loved this stuff and was interested in it. And he was just really supportive of whatever I wanted to do. And I think he knew like how much reading I had done. So just kind of had implicit trust. And if I was making, um, a decision that I had had really looked into it and so you know I know sometimes people are hesitant to to do an out-of-hospital birth or anything but um he he felt really good about it he felt really good about the team that we had selected and I think um yeah his goal was just to to try to give me um you know and in the baby like the experience that um I had been hoping for so he was he was amazing the whole time excellent and so then how did this, you know, you're pregnant, pregnancy's going well, you're prepared, you've got your team, you're reading. And then how did the labor start? How did things get going? Yeah. Um, so I was 40 weeks and four days um, and nothing had really been happening. And I was trying really hard to not like be disappointed by that because I knew like, oh, first time moms like go an average of 10 days over. Like, it's OK. It doesn't mean anything. Um, and I was trying not to get too nervous about it because at 42 weeks, um, you know, you could no longer deliver at the birth center. And I was, I wasn't even 41 at the time. I was 40 plus four um, and nothing had really been happening. I wasn't dilated at all. Um, and again, tried not to be too in my head about that because I knew dilation doesn't like predict, you know, anything necessarily. Um, but it was a Sunday morning and it was March 31st. So it was four days after the due date. And I was kind of was waking up slowly um, in the bed and kind of slowly realizing that the sheets were wet. Um, and as I was coming to, I was like, oh, the sheets are wet, like this is exciting. And so I kind of ripped back the covers and saw that there was a little puddle there um, and like, you know, thought, hey, maybe my water broke. And so I go over to the light switch to flip on the light. Um, and I was telling Johnny like, Johnny, my water broke or maybe I just peed myself. I don't know, that's a possibility too. Um, and then when I turned on the light, I saw that it was actually blood. Um, mm. And yeah, not not a little bit, like not a ton, like it wasn't soaked, but maybe a, a puddle the size of like 
two or three hands. Um, so definitely more than, you know, I had read Bloody Show or anything like that was supposed to be. Um, and I went, I, it took me a second to, I think, to click that this was serious. And so I was like, or I just peed myself. And I went, oh, it's blood. But like in this perky voice, um, it was like, it hadn't hit me yet. And I went to the bathroom and it was, you know, still bleeding, kind of dripping blood on the floor. Um, the toilet like filled up like pretty red quickly. Um, and I called my midwife and um, you know, she was also like, well, you know, well, how much is it? Maybe it's just bloody show. And it's like, you know, I really don't think so. It, it seems like more. Um, well, and, and it I, kept coming and, and it, yeah, it was, it, yeah, it was um, not just like spotting, like it was still bleeding. Um, and so I sent her pictures of the sheets and the toilet um, that she had asked for. And she said um, that she was going to call me right back after she got the pictures. And she took a, a, a couple minutes. So I, I ended up calling her back um, and she had taken a second because she called one of the midwives, other midwives from the birth center to collaborate and just like confirm like, hey, you would transfer for this, right? Um, and she said, yeah. And so when I got back on the phone with her, um, she said, okay, I'm concerned and we're gonna need to go to the hospital. And she started asking me like if I had felt the baby move yet that morning. Um, and I hadn't, I hadn't been awake for very long, but I hadn't felt her move. Um, and so I think that was extra concerning, you know, I'm bleeding, the baby isn't moving yet. Um, and so she asked, um, there's two hospitals that we could possibly transfer to. And she asked which one we were closer to. Um, we were about equal distance. So she said to go to, um, one called Memorial city. Um, and so we were getting ready to, to pack up and to go. And, and I, I think the moment I realized that it, it was, you know, more serious than I thought, she said, and I would tell you to call an ambulance, but I think your husband can get you there faster. And in that moment, I was like, oh, um, and she was on speakerphone. So my husband heard that too. And we just kind of both kicked it into high gear. Like he didn't want me um, to be moving around more than necessary. So as soon as I was dressed, he sent me down to the car um, and he grabbed all of our bags. Um, and I was just trying to stay calm. And I think I generally am pretty calm in like high um, intensity situations. So I was just trying to, to keep that. Um, and as soon as I got into the car and was drinking some cold water, like I did feel the baby move a little bit. And so I think that made me feel a lot better. Um, and so I felt a little bit more peaceful on the ride to the hospital than I would have. Um, and he, uh, he knocked on our na downstairs neighbor's door um, of our apartment and I think freaked him out because he just like very quickly, a matter of fact, what you said, Elaine is leading, we have to go to the hospital. Here's the keys, let my mom in and, and ran out. So well, and that he was, was our- Go ahead, sorry. No, yeah, that was that was our story of getting out the door. Right, and so he was like very much and it's go mode, it's important, like, not, yeah. not emergency but urgency and let's get out of here absolutely yeah. absolutely and he he definitely keeps a calm level head um in those situations which is was nice and very reassuring um mm. and um let's yeah. yeah let's take a quick break before you get to the hospital we'll be right back did you know that Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths per day? That is so many breaths. Now, according to the EPA, the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, up to a hundred times more polluted. So then what is the solution for cleaner indoor air? 
For me, it's Air Doctor and their line of superb air purifiers that have captured the attention of established media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and many more. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so that your lungs don't have to. This includes all kinds of pollutants, such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses that can make you sick. Plus, Air Doctor comes with a 30-day breathe-easy money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BIRTHFALL to receive up to $300 off air purifiers. And exclusive to podcast listeners, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O dot com so airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code birthful and we are back talking with elena gay and she was having a birth center birth planning for that but then suddenly her water breaking wasn't her water breaking and (laughs) right you had to run to the hospital at the moment you're in the car going towards the hospital what did you find that that car ride gave you a time to sort of process and, and get grounded a little bit on what was happening on the swift change or what, what was going through your mind at that point? Yeah. Um, so the car ride, I think I actually felt like pretty peaceful. Like I was, it was still like, I was still nervous, you know, um, cause it was a, an emergency type situation. Um, but I, especially after I had felt the baby move, um, it just felt like, okay, I think things are going to be okay. I, I just believe that things are going to be okay. So I was um, nervous, but I trying to maintain some sense of calm. And, um, you know, my midwife um, was texting me. Yeah, I had two. Um, and one of them was texting me that, you know, she was praying for wisdom for the doctors. And that was really comforting. And so I felt um, surprisingly okay on that car trip, even though it was, it was pretty serious. Mm-hmm. And how far was the hospital from your home? How quickly did you guys get there? Uh, 15 to 20 minutes. We probably made it in 15 minutes that day. Mm -hmm. And were your midwives already there? Like who was there waiting for you? Had they given the heads up to the hospital? What what happened? Yeah, so one of my midwives was actually in Indonesia at the time. So the other one, um, the one who was in town, she called ahead um, and uh, you know, told them the situation, like bleeding, um, baby's not moving and, um, was going to have, uh, have them meet me downstairs and take me up to the OB emergency department. Um, and she, uh, actually that midwife used to work at that hospital, um, as the director of the maternal fetal nursing department. I'm not sure what the official title was, but she was, um, kind of head of that nursing department. And so had a lot of rapport, um, with a lot of the nurses there, um, which ended up being like huge, I think, for just some feeling of continuity of care that the nurses I ended up having having knew her. Um, but a really kind nurse met me downstairs um, and had a wheelchair for me to bring me up to the OB emergency department while um, my husband parked the car. And she was really reassuring. She's like, hey, you look, you look so much calmer. And 
better than I expected. Like, you know, you don't look like you're like you're dying, basically, I think is what they were preparing for, like somebody who just has massive bleeding and it wasn't that. Um, and so as soon as they got me up, um, the first thing was to, to hook me up to the monitors and see how the baby was doing. And um, the baby's heart rate was fine um, and was doing great. And so I think everyone at that point could kind of like breathe a sigh of relief that we have time to come up with a game plan here. Um, it's not like a do or die right at this minute that the baby seems stable. Right. She wasn't in distress. Right. Oh, so good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Such yeah. a relief. And I think you <laughs> mentioned you had a, a little bit of that sense of calm when you felt her move in the car. Like they yeah. didn't know that they had gotten. Right. Yeah. yeah. I informed them of that too when we got there. Excellent. So was your midwife allowed to be part of the team? Did she have to switch her role? Did the doulas come into play? Yeah. So um, the midwife got there um, Sunday morning. She had been at a, a birth. Like I think she was working on two hours of sleep at, at that point. Um, and they, uh, she got to be in the room and she was consulting um, throughout the whole um time we were in the OB emergency room and we were coming up with a plan and trying to figure out what was going on. Um, and then she ended up leaving after that when we got checked into labor and delivery and she came back right before delivery. Um, yeah, but she got to kind of play um, not not a decision-making role necessarily. Um, she didn't have hospital privileges, but she was there. Um, the nurse who had brought me up to the OB emergency department, she had actually hired that nurse to work at that hospital, um, you know, however many years back. Um, and I remember that nurse mentioning, like, you are in really good hands with Lanice, like, she is awesome. Um, and that was super reassuring that, like, the the people I was working with at this hospital, um, you know, weren't like, oh, you know, a, a out of hospital birth, like a little whack job here and her whack job midwife or anything like that. Like, it was not, um, there was no judgment, no negativity. Um, and they were really respectful of, of her. Yeah, they had good report. And how about with the um, the attending doctors? Yeah, so she was amazing. Um, and I like I just think of her and just think like, I want to be that woman's best friend. Um, so she walked in to the, the room. And I think at that point, we we had a strip um, of the baby's heart rate. And we knew that that was looking good. Um, and she was just so calm and reassuring. And she came in and just like, hey, like, you look so much better than I was expecting. You know, I heard um, bleeding, like, baby's not moving. I was expecting someone with white lips. And you look great. The baby looks great. Um, we're going to try and figure out what's going on here. And if it's nothing too serious, like, hopefully we can send you back to the birth center and you can have your baby there. Um, and so she was definitely just, like, you know, kind of on our side, like, wanted us to have the experience we were hoping for if we could. Um, and so they, they had the strip and then she did an ultrasound to see if she could see anything on there that would be a cause for the bleeding. Um, and she, she didn't, um, she mentioned that even if it was a placental abruption, which is what it ended up being a very small one. Um, but they wouldn't be able to see it on the ultrasound unless it was at least 50% separated. Um, and so, but what she did see is that I had super, super low fluid, um, which she said, you know, could just be that you're a few days over your due date and it's time to have a baby. It could be that your water broke this morning, um, you know, when you were bleeding and that was fluid mixed with blood. We can't really know um, because whatever tests they do for 
to see if your water is broken apparently is always positive if there's blood. So there was no way to like test and see if there like was. separate those out. Fluid. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she did that and that didn't really reveal much except for a very low fluid. And so then she was gonna do an internal exam. And that was the, the point where she was like, you know, and if it doesn't look like you're bleeding very much anymore um, and there's no really cause there, like maybe we can send you home or send you back to the birth center and hopefully um, you can do things there. And it, I was um, on the monitor, it was showing that I was having regular contractions about every five minutes, even though like they were super, super light. Like I could, you know, just kind of felt maybe some very light cramping, definitely not active labor. Um, so she did the internal exam um, and there was just, unfortunately, so much blood. Like I didn't see it, but my midwife and my husband both saw it. And she was just kind of pulling out very long clots um, and couldn't, of course, like find any, any source like in the internal exam for why it would be bleeding. Um, and it was just quite a bit. And so I think she, I, you know, I think she felt for me that I was going to be um, staying at the hospital after that point for sure. Um, but she just said it in the kindest way I think I could ever imagine. She was like, okay, so, you know, here's all the things that could be reason for the bleeding. Like it could be cervical change or cervical irritation, but it's really too much like for either of those. This is way more than we would expect to see for that. Um, and so other things like she mentioned placental abruption, but she goes, fortunately the treatment plan for all of those things is the same. It's to have a birthday party. <laughs> Um, so that's our course of treatment. We're going to have a birthday party. And it was just like so kind and sweet. Um, like a sweet way to tell me like, I'm going to have an induction, which was not at all my plan. Um, you know, but she was so calm and reassuring. And my midwife um, said like, yeah, that is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, she even told me later, my midwife, when she said, when the doctor said, um, hopefully we can send you back to the birth center that she was like, Oh no, like I don't, I don't want her back at the birth center. Like, um, after how much she's bled, like she's definitely, um, risked out of that. Um, so that was the, the plan then. Um, and then another thing about this doctor that, um, was just so great. She kind of immediately went into a very long spiel of like all of the things, um, that I would need to know. Um, like, here's everything, uh, you know, that you should know about like epidurals and an IV. And if we end up having to do a C-section, here's how that's going to go. And she just spoke really, really, really quickly. Um, not because she was trying to rush out, but um, I could just, you could tell that she really valued like informed consent and me um, like knowing all of my options and everything. Um, and she, I think because she knew I was hoping for a natural birth, like kind of could predict all of the, the questions that I was going to have. Um, and so she was talking about like, um, so, you know, when people come in with their birth plan, um, a lot of those things now in our hospital are standard practice. So things like delayed cord clamping, like immediate skin to skin, delaying a bath or things like that are all things that like we do anyway, um, which was really, really reassuring to hear. Um, and then a few things that I did have questions about um, was of course, like, am I gonna have to do Pitocin? And she, um, you know, kind of said like, we're gonna take it slow. Like my cervix was super close. She said, close, 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 which is <laughs> disappointing to hear. Um, so we, she said like, we're not gonna start out with Pitocin. Like that is, um, you know, like not really gonna be helpful. We'll start out with um, a cervix, like cervix thinning drug um, and we'll do that for 12 hours. Like we're in no rush. This could be a couple of days. 
Um, and I asked, I think, about intermittent monitoring, which was something I, I hoped that I would be able to have, um, but I knew at this point was probably not going to happen. And she's like, yeah, you know, with, with the bleeding and us not really knowing what's going on, like, we probably do need to do continual monitoring um, and an IV um, because of the very low fluid and, you know, just if anything massive happens, like, and I started bleeding a, a ton more all at once, like that they would really need to have that line in place. Um, and so even though I was, I was disappointed to hear that I was, you know, I was going to be induced, I was going to have continual monitoring, I was going to have an IV. Um, I think I just, I felt in total agreement with all that. I didn't want it, um, but I, like, I knew it was definitely the right thing to do. And she was just like so kind and calm and reassuring to take the time to explain like, yeah, um, here's why like those things in this case are probably necessary. Um, and, you know, she even mentioned if it, if this wasn't the situation, if you weren't bleeding, I would say like, yeah, like, you know, no IVs, like intermittent monitoring, all that, let's go for it. But given the situation, um, these are interventions that we need. Well, and it provided a lot of clarity that there was so much blood, right? It, it's it's clear yes, that absolutely. that shouldn't be there at that point. Right. Um, it wasn't what you were expecting at home. It wasn't what she was expecting or anybody was expecting at the hospital. So th that's kind of like where the birth plan requires a flexibility of. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even though these weren't your wishes, um, you were still feeling heard and were included in the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. They were so, um, um, I think just like all the people I encountered were like expressed some kind of like, Hey, like, I'm really sorry that, you know, you're not getting the, the birth that you had hoped for, but we're going to try to, to give you as close as possible here, you know, some approximation of that, which was, um, you know, just huge. Like it was, it was so reassuring and it, I think it made such a difference in the whole experience. Mm, that and, and it's so human, right? <laughs> Trying to yeah, understand absolutely. your choices and and absolutely. we can balance both. We can take care of the situation and also consider the person that's going through. Absolutely, it. and especially given that we had, you know, like it wasn't. We've realized now it's not a a dire emergency at this minute. Like the baby is doing fine. We have time to talk about it, to talk about options, um, and they like they took advantage of that and kind of gave me the time to process and to, to ask the questions I needed to ask. And it was, it was so helpful. Mm. And that is a, a huge clear point that baby was fine and tolerating everything. So you didn't have right. the time to do. Right. Um, so then you guys get admitted. What happened next? Yeah. So we got to our labor and delivery room um, and we knew that we were kind of in for a long process. Like um, her name was Dr. Rockison had mentioned like it, we could have a baby tonight, it could be tomorrow, it could be the next day, like we're not in a rush. Um, and especially given that my cervix was, I think only 30% of face, not dilated at all. Um, we knew it was gonna be at least 12 hours of just um, cervical. Um, so we get to the room and I think that's when all of the just emotions of like disappointment and frustration that I'm here at the hospital and I don't wanna be really hit. Cause before that it was, things were moving um, more quickly um, and I was just so relieved that the baby was okay. Um, but I, once we got into the, the room, I think maybe a little bit before noon. Um, so we had gotten to the hospital around eight. Um, I wasn't bleeding very much anymore. Like not much was coming out. And I was just kind of like mad about it. Like, ugh, I'm not even bleeding anymore. Like, this isn't where I want to be. Like, everything's fine. I should, I just wish I could go back to the birth center. 
um, which of course was, you know, not, I knew was not an option, knew was not the right thing, but I was frustrated and disappointed to be there. Um, and at that point, um, I was really feeling nervous um, that I was going to end up having a very typical like hospital experience, maybe not typical, but I think maybe the typical of like 10 years ago where you're just hooked up to a ton of machines and you can't move around um, and you're like, you're not allowed to like labor in different positions and all of that. Um, Because when I first got into the room, I had to wipe myself down with disinfecting wipes for whatever reason. They gave me these wipes and a chart that was in the bathroom and I had to wipe off these certain parts of my body to prevent infection or something, which just felt very cold and clinical. Um, And I was like, just kind of mad about it. Like, I'm, you know, like, what's wrong with my skin? Like, I'm going to cause an infection for my baby or something. Um, and I know, like, what it's for. And, um, but it, I was still not happy about it. And when I first got in there, I was hooked up to about, like, four different machines. Um, I had to have the belt for continual monitoring. And so I couldn't move around very much with that. Um, a blood pressure cuff, one of the finger things for heart rate. Um and an IV and it didn't help that it took, I think three different nurses to get the IV in. So I was just getting stuck all over, like all over the place, um, hooked up to a bunch of things. I hated the hospital gown. I felt like I was, you know, just vulnerable and exposed and like a circus tent, like I hated it. Um, and I was pretty, pretty disappointed at that point. Um, and I think my husband was, um, was trying to keep me in good spirits. Um, uh, but at some point, either before or after they placed the cervical, like all of that got resolved. Like I asked if I could wear my own robe and they were totally fine with that. Um, they found um, a portable monitoring um, for me so I didn't have to wear the belt. They do the, the kind where it just like attaches to your belly, um, oh, which so was probably, can- yeah, that was probably like one of the biggest um, like tools that they had that made and um, this amazing birth experience possible. I am so like jealous and waiting to get those here in our neck oh, of the woods because we still have the belts with the flat oh, really? monitors and it's yeah. Why like yeah, I didn't the know. technology? I didn't know if they were there. common or not. Mm. They just they're but just they, like stickers, right? Yeah. Well, they kind of rub your belly with like a sandpaper type thing to make your skin like grittier, I guess, to grip on. And then it's almost like a pokey velcro, the things that stick to your belly. And it's like a little battery pack that went right over my belly button. And it had four kind of nodes coming off of it that were like a prickly Velcro type thing that they just stuck straight to my skin that they had rubbed with like the sandpaper type stuff. So I didn't, yeah, I didn't, was not familiar with that at all because I had not been planning to use anything like that. But it was, it was a lifesaver um, because then they did that. They also... Um, took off the blood pressure cuff. Um, I only had to put it on like every 30 minutes or something when it beat um, in the finger thing. And so then all I had was the IV um, that I was hooked up to and I could, you know, carry that and roll that around the room. Um, And it was long enough that I could move and be in any position. Um, So that was, that was huge. And just like them being so, um, uh, you know, like adamant about like, it took a while, you know, to get the thing connected, but they were like, yeah, well, we're going to get this for you so that you can move around. And we're really supportive in that way. It was amazing. And let's take another quick break. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll be right back with more of the details. 
tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. And we're back talking to Elena Gay about her birth experience. So it seems like now you're, you, you kind of went through a lot of the processing of what was going on. And once yeah. the adrenaline went down, you were like, yeah. oh, this is not what I wanted. But it seems from what you were saying, you've gotten to a place where you've kind of found some acceptance into what was going on Um, and also uh, of figuring out how to best work with the situation that was going on by matching it to your needs in terms of wearing your own clothes and not the gown and you know bringing back some more mobility to your to your experience absolutely and I think the fact that like both I I felt comfortable asking like hey can I put on my own clothes can I actually wear underwear because at first they had me like not in anything and they said they like didn't want me to wear underwear um so I was bleeding on this like chucks pad on the bed which was just a horrible feeling um and so I got to put on like a pad to contain the bleeding and underwear and my own clothes um and yeah I definitely um feeling like I eventually felt a lot more accepting of the situation um I think uh, a big part of that when they placed the cervical and they were actually going to do cytotech, um, which I, um, you know, just from classes I had taken and stuff I had read, um, wasn't crazy about because I knew that cytotech dissolved and like basically once you put it in, there's there's no going back. Um, whereas with Cervidil, it's more like a tampon and you can take the medicine out like if you need to. Um, and so I, I even asked like, hey, is there a reason we're doing cytotech instead of Cervidil? Um, and they called the doctor and she was like, yeah, if she wants Cervidil, let's do Cervidil. Like, that's totally fine. And so they, they switched that prescription for me, um, which was, you know, great. Um, but then I, I was upset cause I, it seemed like I was not bleeding anymore. Um, but when the nurse placed the Cervidil at about 1230 PM, um, 
I like there was a ton of blood again as she was placing it and that kind of caused me to accept like okay I actually am where I need to be like I'm still bleeding this is still not a um you know a normal low-risk situation where I can be out of the hospital like I'm where I need to be um and so that combined with like you know getting to move around getting in my own clothes I think um I was eventually in a much better headspace and I want to clarify because this is something that wasn't quite it didn't it's hard to understand unless you've seen it that yeah. like it, how can if you're walking around and you're not bleeding and there's not that much on the pad how can then the nurse figure out oh no there's tons of blood like where is it hiding and it's yeah. right and but yeah especially if you're lying down or you know it's the blood's coming from the uterus right and it can yeah. pull in the vagina and clot there and then that's where they get it out from kind of manually Um, yes and so as she was pulling out her gloves there was just like it was all over her gloves um and then I had to lay down for an hour after the servicel um for whatever reason um and then when I stood up to go to the bathroom like then there was a ton of clot like and uh, the nurses actually were really nervous about it and called the doctor to see if we needed to change course of treatment or anything because it it seemed like so much. Um, unfortunately, the doctor was like, well, no, like, that's why she's here, you know, as long as the baby's fine, like, we know she's bleeding and, um, you know, continue with the plan. But yeah, so once I knew I was still bleeding and everything, I was a lot more accepting of the situation. And so they placed the cervidil and that's, you were, did you do just the one dose? We just did one dose and it was 12 hours. So they placed it at 1230 PM. Um, and so from then through most of the rest of the day, it was just kind of like, here I am at the hospital, like not really feeling like I'm in labor, um, but I'm here. And we, um, my husband had his mom um, come in from out of town to go take care of our dog and to like bring stuff up to the hospital that we forgot. And so for a while we were just kind of like killing time. Um, And once I was happy about the situation, it was a lot better like to be there there was a Harry Potter marathon on. So we had that on. I was kind of bouncing on the, um, the birthing balls that they had and just on the ground, like doing stretches and um, which freaked one of the nurses out. She's like, why are you on the ground? And she like, not in the, like you should be in the bed way, but in the like, let here, let me put all of these things on the ground so that you're not touching the germy floor, um, <laughs> which was very nice of her and probably wise. Um, yeah, so for a while, I would say until like 9.30, it was just kind of us there. Um, you know, I was feel, feeling kind of crampy, but it, it really wasn't hurting. Um, we were just there trying to entertain ourselves and like take care of all of the logistic things and tell work that we were having a baby and all of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so did things start getting more intense or yeah why did like why after 12 hours what made him not do another dose or what 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 was going on there that determined a different course of action um um, the plan was always like let me go for 12 hours um as long as the baby's doing fine we'll check you again they said midnight 30 which i have never heard before and i don't know if that's like just hospital lingo but we'll check you again at midnight 30 because that'll be 12 hours and we'll see where we go from there um, and so I'd say around like maybe 9, 30, 10, we decided to try to get some sleep. Um, so we were like cuddled up in this tiny hospital bed. Um, and then around 1130, um, I started having like I was having more intense contractions. Um, they were not like super tough, but I was kind of 
I was waking up in between them. I was starting to have to like really focus and breathe through them and was making noise. Whereas before, um, you know, I could just basically ignore them and talk through them. Um, so we did that for like an hour or so, um, but still mostly sleeping and resting. And when they checked me again at 1230, by this point, like I had new nurses, you know, we had gone through shift change and everything. Um, um, and I was like not dilated at all um, still, or I, I think I was maybe half a centimeter, but I was still not even completely effaced. Um, and the nurse I had, her name was Chris, um, at that point recommended Pitocin. Um, which I was, you know, so disheartened to hear. I was really hoping that because I, my contractions were starting to pick up and get more painful that maybe I wasn't going to need Pitocin and it could just be, um, you know, just Cervidil and then a natural label from there. Um, but that was not the case. Um, so she, um, and just to say a bit about Chris and how amazing she was, she had actually told me she had been planning a home birth herself with her second baby. Um, and so she was just like, you know, I feel for you. Like, I know, I know how you feel with this transfer. Like, I know how disappointing this is, but, um, we're going to try to give you everything that you want. Like, we're going to try to make this, um, as close to the experience you're hoping for as possible. And your next birth, like, we're going to get you in that birth center and we're going to do it. And just, of course, even though she was not going to be there for the next birth, like she was just very, very supportive in that way. Um, so when it was, midnight 30 and I had really not progressed um she recommended starting Pitocin and I asked her like but since you know my own contractions are kind of starting to pick up like could we give it a couple of hours and see you know what my body is doing on its own before we start um and I think she I think compared with the doctor because at some point Dr. Rockerson came back in the room um and was like basically they were like yeah you know we can do this but we don't want to give it too long um because because of the situation and because of the bleeding um like the last thing we want is to just let it stretch on and on and on and then you it do end up having massive bleeding and it does end up being an emergency c-section um so they said you know we'll give it a couple of hours we'll let you shower off um get unhooked from the machines and then we can come check again and see where you are um and so it's around 2 30. Um, they came back and I, uh, Chris said I was like maybe a one. And at a later point, another nurse um, had was, I think she was filling in a different nurse and she said like a, a generous one. So I think I was probably not even a one. And she was just saying that to try and keep me from being totally disheartened. Um, and so 2.30 a.m. Um, was when we started to tosin. And I do appreciate that you were advocating for yourself trying different things and yeah. that they were working with you of like you know let can can we see what my body does and you did that for two hours and it wasn't necessarily as much progress as they were looking for um, right. but i also in inductions really appreciate creating those gaps that are possible yeah. if everything's looking good in between doses of things in between actions to kind of right. feel a little normal like you got on yeah. from everything and took a shower yeah which was huge and I, I got to shave my legs which um was great because I didn't end up shaving them again for a long time after that so that was um much needed um yeah and it was just it was so I think you used the word earlier human um and yeah, it's just so human and so kind. And um, I think she even said, Chris, the nurse said, um, you know, if 
if you weren't bleeding and this wasn't the situation and we weren't worried about that, then I would say absolutely like no need for Pitocin. You let your body keep doing its thing and we'll, we'll see where it goes. But given the situation and like that we're trying to prevent this from becoming worse, like here's why I'm recommending that we start on Pitocin. And yeah, so it just felt very hurried, even though Pitocin was probably like super high up on the birth plan of things I don't want to happen. Um, I was, I felt really okay with it because the team um, was willing to try other things and give me space and was um, so. How did the Pitocin uh, feel? Uh, not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they started me out on um, a two by two dose, I think, um, which I didn't hear. Um, but that meant that they were going to start me off on two units or something and increase it every two hours, which I didn't know. And I'm very glad I didn't know that they were going to be increasing it every two hours. Um, so they started it off um, and we were going to try to continue to get more sleep um, for as long as we could. Um, and we did that until about 5.30. So for from like 2.30 to 5.30, I was in the bed trying to sleep in between contractions and I would get a few minutes and would kind of wake up and it was, um, you know, really starting to pick up and hurt at that point um, in the lower back and everything. Um, and so it's kind of moaning through those, starting to make noise. I didn't know if I was going to be a vocal laborer and I definitely was very loud. Not at that point. Um, it was still kind of low moans and my husband would rub my back. Um, and at one point in, in that time frame, I, he wasn't rubbing my back in a contraction and I looked back and he was on his phone. Um, and I like couldn't really speak to tell him I was upset. I was just like, Ugh! and he like got off his phone and came over quickly. And of course, like he was doing something perfectly reasonable. I think he was updating the midwives and the doula um, and telling him what was going on. Um, but I was not logical enough at that point to realize that. And so I was just upset about it. Right. Just not um, during the contraction. <laughs> yeah. Um, and around 530 um, was when, you know, I, I couldn't sleep in between contractions anymore. I couldn't stay in bed. Um, and so we started getting up and doing more active coping techniques. Um, and he was saying like, you know, I think it's probably time to call the doula. And I was like, no, you know, I don't want her to come if I'm still trying to sleep and she doesn't have anything to do. Um, and he was much, much more aware of what was going on and um, like how deep into labor I, I was than I actually was. Like, I think I was still kind of in denial that it's maybe not really starting yet. Um, but he went ahead and texted her anyway, which is absolutely the right call. Um, so before she got there, he was using kind of like a tennis ball roller. Um, I don't know if you've seen those where you put the tennis balls in the sock um, and he was doing some back massages with that and it was helping, um, but it was getting to a point where it was not working anymore. Um, and especially like because of the Pitocin at that point, I was having like double peak contractions. Um, so I would get one that was really strong and then just get a 15 second break and then get another really strong one. And then I would get like that, you know, three, four minute break or whatever that, um, is more normal. Yeah. We um, call those, so, we call those camelbacks. <laughs> yes. And they're not fun. No. Um, I was getting that. I was experiencing a lot of back labor, um, and the nurse came in at one point and I told her that that was happening. Um, and she was like, okay, well, we're going to try to turn the Pitocin up. Um, and that will hopefully um, get you on a more regular pattern and space those out. Um, and I'm sure that that is very true, but I did not want to hear that at the time or believe it. And I, cause I was, you know, going to ask her to turn it down. Um, and she was like, well, ideally, you know, we'll get you to every two to three minutes. And I was like, I, I can't do this every two to three minutes. 
Um, and she was so sweet um, to just say like, you know, that's our goal. Cause what else can you say? Like, of course you have to do it every two to three minutes. Um, she's like, well, that's our goal. And she just kind of turned it up and, and walked back out. Um, and I was too, too gone at that point to like say anything, but I was not happy about it. Um, and um, very glad that my husband um, texted our doula, um, Kaylee, when he did. Um, because right at the point where I was saying like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. She came in and I didn't see this because I, at this point was kind of in labor land. Um, my head was down and on the bed. And um, he said that she just came in and saw me and like threw her bags down on the ground and ran over and immediately started squeezing my hips. And I was like, oh, like, that's amazing. Like my husband was helping, but she definitely had that magic touch of like, oh, that actually really helped. Mm, yeah, that <laughs> you described something I'm familiar with of like yeah. arriving in the room and going like, oh yeah, yeah, needed stats. <laughs> yeah, she just did a bunch of things at once. Like she pulled my hair up into a bun, so it was out of my face, and she started putting cold rags on me and like squeezing and like pressing in all of the places where it was really making a difference. And um, she asked, you know, where I was feeling contractions and. Like I, I told her things were happening in my back. And so she was pressing there and it was super helpful. Um, and so she got there around um, 6.50. And so it was right before shift changed and right before they were about to check me again. Um, and so they checked me again at seven o'clock and, and I was at a, a four centimeters dilated, which I was pretty disappointed about because I felt like I was really, really working hard. And even though, you know, I knew and I had heard like not to put, too much stock in the numbers it's it's hard not to you know like I think we're just kind of wired that way to um to value like regular increments like that and so hearing I was only a four I was like I I really don't know if I can do this um and I'm was, thinking was, from yeah. barely a one to a four that's really great progress right right like it had, had not been that long and the nurses um you know seemed fine with it but I I was pretty disheartened by it um, and so at that point, um, I didn't know this at the time, but I think after that is when I started to enter transition. Um, and I, that's when I was really in that headspace of like, I can't do this. Um, and I never said the words out loud. I want an epidural. Um, cause I didn't want to admit to myself that I wanted an epidural because that was not part of the plan. Um, but I, I think the phrasing I used with them was like, next time the nurses come in, I want to talk pain relief options <laughs> instead of saying the word epidural. Um, and they were like, okay, okay. And they knew, um, you know, we had talked about beforehand in our prenatal appointments, if we do end up at the hospital or things like that. And I'm saying, I want an epidural. Like, I want you guys to keep me strong. Like, I don't really want that. And they, that's exactly what they did. They were amazing. Um, and they were like, Kaylee, the doula was like, all right, you know, just give me three more. And then we can talk about that. And so I did three. And then I was like, all right, I did three more. Um, and then my husband told me later, I had actually done like 10 more and I just had no idea, like time was going out the window at that point. Um, and I, um, I had been asking them to check me again, um, even though they had checked me really recently, I had no concept of time. Um, and in my head, I was just like, uh, like, okay, I, if it's going to be all day, you know, they said this could be like several days of induction, then I can't do this all day and I need something. Um, and so I was asking them to check me again. And eventually they did. I think it was like the doctor shift change at eight o'clock. Um, and in my head, they were checking me because I had asked them to. Um, and I was told like 
that that was not the case at all later by my husband. Like it had nothing to do with me asking. They were doing it anyway. It wasn't like close to the time I was asking, but I had no concept of time. Um, and so they checked me at like eight o'clock. And at that point, um, I remember the exact words the nurse said, which is surprising because it was hard to pay attention to anything, um, you know, at that point, like to speak or do anything at all. But she said, he's made rapid progress. Um, you're at a seven or an eight. Um, and I think that was all I needed to get through, like just hearing you've made rapid progress. It's like, okay, I'm doing something. Um, and so from that point on, it was about eight o'clock. I never really thought about getting an epidural again. Like I was um, like, I just kind of got out of that headspace. I know, I think you've mentioned the term before in your shows, like the thinking brain. Um, and that's when I really like was out of the thinking brain. Like I was just fully committed to labor and labor land. And I really, um, I don't know, like I stopped experiencing things as pain. It was still super, super intense, but it wasn't like the dread of like, oh, here comes another painful contraction. It was just um, going with it. It was intense. It was not pleasant, but it, it wasn't painful. And there's something to be said for when you stop resisting those yeah. sensations that yeah, they actually hurt less, right? Yeah. Because you're not tensing up. Um and maybe leaning in and exploring it. And you had made in one hour, like it reminds yeah. me once again, that birth is so not linear. In one hour, you went right. from four to seven, eight, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just knowing that, like, that it, it, it was moving really fast. I think I felt so much um, yeah, more willing to go through the process. Um, and at some point in there, Dr. Roxton came back in to say goodbye because she had been on shift for like 48 hours. Um, and I was, with whatever like logical capacity I had left, which was not much, was disappointed about that because I really liked her and was hoping that she would be there to deliver the baby um, or, you know, catch the baby or whatever the, the term is. But um, she had been there for 48 hours, so definitely had to go home. But she wanted to say goodbye, which was sweet. Like, you know, she was taking her own time to come. Um, and she came in and I was, I think at that point, the bed was sort of up, like the head of the bed was tilted up and I had my arms on the top of it and I was kind of leaning over like that um and she was like hey you're gonna have a birthday party like you're gonna meet your baby soon um and I could all I could do I like barely lifted my head and turned it to her and went I like you and then just like dropped it back down <laughs> and back into labor land and she was like I like you too <laughs> um and she left and long before that like when we were still in the OB emergency department that or I guess yesterday the previous morning um, she had told me, you know, if we do go through shift change, the doctor is going to be Dr. Rodriguez, and he's great, and he's also going to be on board with all of this. Um, and so I at least knew that, like, I had, I knew that the doctor who would be coming in was also going to be, um, yeah, just respectful of of what we were trying to do, and was going to let let that unfold as naturally as possible. And so how, you know, you're progressing right along, things were getting more intense. Did you at some point feel like a shift of, oh, I've got to put like, did you have an urge to push? Oh, how was that? Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, so I it was not long after that either. Um, and the timeline stuff, I had no idea like what time things were happening. And it could have been hours and I wouldn't have known. But my husband kind of pulled me in later. Um, so it was about 830 um, where I started to feel my body push. Um, and I was, it was concerning because, um, you know, I was bleeding. And so with each like little involuntary push that I could feel my body doing, I could feel like some blood coming out, like, you know, just small gushes and being concerned about that. Um, and it was, it was so hard to vocalize, like, cause I could barely talk. 
Um, and I told the nurses I was worried about the bleeding. Um, and they're like, yeah, you know, like you look fine on the monitors and like the baby looks great and you're doing great. Um, but it, I think I was eventually able to vocalize that, like, no, I'm concerned about the bleeding because I'm, I'm bleeding more because I'm pushing. Um, but at some point in there, one of the nurses had mentioned, like, you know, let us know before you feel your start body start to push. Um, and I told her at that point, like, I, I am, like, I'm pushing with every contraction. And she's like, oh, well, well you know, we'll don't, like, we have to check you. We have to make sure that you're, um, you're not... Uh, or that you're fully dilated. Um, and I, my husband told me after the fact that he had kind of like, just, you know, taken her aside and like, hey, could you not um, phrase it like that? Like, I totally understand like why you have to tell her not to push, but I think that saying don't push is just going to be really discouraging to her, um, which I thought was just so sweet. Like he was just such an advocate um, for That's me there. That's so sweet. Yeah. I know. Oh. Yeah. Um, he's, he's amazing. Um, so they did check me shortly after that to make sure that I was fully dilated. And I was, um, and I think that was about eight 30. So it went from, you know, at seven o'clock being a four to eight 30 being fully dilated, you know? So just like you said, very nonlinear, like, and unpredictable. Um, mm-hmm. and so from there, like I had the green light to push. Um, and so I was just kind of listening to my body um we were kind of in and out of the bed like doing different positions um I think where I ended up for quite a while was on the yoga ball the birthing ball like next to the bed with my like shoulders and arms kind of draped over the bed sitting on the ball and then when I would get the contraction um and you know feel it coming on I would lift my knees up and um like kind of stand up a little bit more um because I could also feel the baby like coming down so it felt uncomfortable to uh to be sitting, sitting all on the something way on the yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um and the like my doula was just amazing and was still like you know squeezing hips and rubbing and my husband um because she was there um and this is another reason that, where I think doulas are so important because she was there for that more like physical support role which she was better at than he was like she had you know much stronger instincts for like where to press and rub and Um, he got to be there for like the more emotional, like intimate role. Um, And he would just kind of be whispering like in my ears, like, um, like you're doing great. Like we're going to meet Charlie, which is the baby's name. We didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl at the time. Um, Like you're doing great. And Charlie's coming and Charlie's, Charlie's doing great. Um, And like, um, I think he, uh, oh, I forgot about this, but he would tell me, you can ride lions, which was a sort of a joke that we had um, from, we had these birth affirmation cards that came with the mom and natural birth course. Um, and one of them, there's this like, you know, pregnant woman, it's a little like drawing of pregnant woman, like riding a lion, which we just thought like was so cute and funny, but he was telling me like, you can ride lions, like you've got this. Oh, I love um, that. <laughs> I know, it was so sweet. Um, and so like, uh, at some point in that pushing phase, um, things started to like seem like they were spacing out a little bit more and like I could be a little bit more in tune with the real world and what was going on. Because um, I remember like I was finally having the energy to whisper to him like, I love you, like, thank you. Um, and he was giving me water between contractions. Um, and so I, I don't know, like, I think I have heard, like, I remember hearing on your show about that sometimes, like, the pushing phase like there's a little bit of a a break almost like before 
the baby actually comes. Um, but things were spacing out a little bit. Um, and yeah, just trying different positions. At one point, I remember being in the bathroom. Um, I did a few contractions on the toilet. Like I, when I stood up, I got hit with a contraction. And so I kind of like collapsed onto my doula and was like pulling her to the ground and I could feel her shaking, like trying to hold me up, like as I was hanging on her shoulders. Um, and then that contraction ended and I heard her say to my husband, like, okay, if she, if she wants to labor like that, like you've got to take the next one because <laughs> I can't hold her up when she's doing that. Um, but yeah, for most of it, I was, I was near the bed. Um, and of course, like the hospital, cause they were so amazing. Like they had the lights low this whole time. So it was very low lights. Um, I, you know, I haven't mentioned much about like what the nurses were doing because they really were just kind of like there in the background to support. They weren't doing much. They were totally fine with me, um, being all over the room, not being in the bed. Um, and they were just kind of, you know, there to do things as needed. Um, and of course, you know, they were working hard, like they're monitoring everything. Um, but as far as like, you know touching me or doing anything to me that was all very minimal um mm-hmm. and, and so yeah for like that when your baby was ready to come when she was ready to come like yeah. did you how did that like how did you know that things were because it seems like you were moving around a lot even during yeah. pushing which I love to hear because it can take some time <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and it did it took um like I was not aware of this but I think it took about two hours of pushing um, but I could, there was a certain point where I could definitely feel her coming lower. Um, cause at first the pushing just kind of felt like, you know, maybe not that different from going to the bathroom, but then at a certain point, like I could feel her coming down. Um, and, uh, so that was happening, but then she would come back up a little bit. And so that went on for a while where it, like I would push and I could feel her come down more and then the contraction would end and she would kind of go back up a bit more. Um, which was like a a hard place to be because it was uncomfortable when she came down. So it was almost like, yeah, I want you to go back up a little bit more again. Like that feels more manageable, but you're never going to come out if you keep doing that. Um, And so at at some point I was too tired to keep sitting on the ball um, and supporting myself with my, like my elbows when I had a contraction. So I got onto the bed um, and I was on my side, which is not what I envisioned at all. Like I didn't think that that was would be a birthing position I liked so that was where I ended up um pushing her out and so while I was there um my husband was holding my leg up most of the time the OB who was on call had entered the room um while I was still on the yoga ball um Dr. Rodriguez I remember the nurses asking him like hey like she's you know wanting to push like this and these positions is that okay um because they said um you know kind of depends on the doctor like that you have and in that kind of like stupor, I remember him saying very quietly, like, yeah, whatever she wants, like let her do what she wants and being really reassured by that. Um, so delivery happened, like I was on my side on the bed, um, had been in this place for a while of feeling her come down, like feeling her go back up. But at this point um, where I was on my side, she was definitely staying down and it was that just kind of constant pressure. Um, they asked me if I wanted to feel her head and I did, and I could feel all of her hair, and, like, oh, I'm gonna cry, like, just talking about this part, um, but I could feel her hair, and just, like, thought, like, I, I think I said out loud, like, that's my baby, um, and just, like, you know, knew it was real, and, um, yeah, like, no, no pain at this point, just, like, excitement, and intensity, you know, like, not pleasant, but it, it wasn't painful, um, 
and at at some point, um, Dr. Rodriguez started to to do um, some like quiet coaching. It wasn't like um, you know like high intensity like push 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 or anything like that. Um, but he uh, was saying like, all right, on this next contraction, like I want you to get like even more guttural, like you know really really guttural, like really really push hard, like bring your baby down. And so I was, um, even though I felt like I was giving it my all, I was giving it even more on those last few pushes. Um, and there was a ton of people in the room at that point. Um, and I just couldn't care less, like, um, which you hear, um, and I, I couldn't relate to before that moment. Like, I, of course, I don't want a ton of people in the room when I'm naked. Like, at this point, I wasn't in the robe anymore, um, but really couldn't care less. My midwife and the midwife who was um, training with her also came back to be there to support us in the delivery, um, even though that they couldn't, you know, have a, um, a like, primary role they were there to support us um and you know took beautiful pictures for us and things um but like um when charlie was actually born um her head had been coming out and you could see like i could feel you know her head was quite a ways out and we were just kind of there for several contractions um and it didn't feel like much more was happening um and then the contraction where she finally came out um i didn't even realize it had happened um so I was like bearing down and pushing like as hard as I could, like we had been doing for for a while. Um, and the doctor and the nurses and the midwives were in the room were encouraging and like, great, great, like push, you're doing great. Um, but not in a like super loud way. Um, and then I just hear my husband go, she's here, Charlie's here. Or he didn't say she, he didn't know at the time. He said, Charlie's here. And I just went, what? Like, I had no idea. Like, I don't, I think it would have taken me several minutes to realize if he had not told me. Um, Cause even though it had taken so long for her to, to crown and to come down and I've been pushing for two hours when she was born, it was all at once and she just flew out. <laughs> and you were so in that deep labor land, you yeah. know, focus on things that when she came out, you're like, what? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, had no idea. Um, and then, um, I think even more than how supportive and amazing the hospital was during the whole labor process, like postpartum and um, like, you know, immediately after delivery was even more amazing um, because they just, you know, she came out and they didn't announce boy or girl. They just handed her straight to me. They, oh man, um, they put her up on my chest and um, decided like, what have we got? And I lifted her up and I said, it's a girl. And my husband at the same time said, Charlie Jane is here. Um, Cause that was gonna be our middle name um, if it was a girl. Um, and yeah, she just, I think it was two hours before anybody even tried to move her off of my chest. Um, she was just on my chest and, you know, had a good strong cry. And one of the nurses was there kind of drying her off. Um, um, and they delayed all of the exams and everything like that. And it was just me and my baby and my husband. Um, yeah, just got great bonding time for, for hours. The lights were dim and, um, there was a lot, a lot going on in the room, of course. Um, but none of that was really affecting our little bubble. Like they were just kind of going about all of the things that they had to do. Um, the delayed cord clamping, um, I think it was not like maybe after like 30 seconds or a minute, the doctor asked if we were ready. Um, and I was like, well, you know, maybe we can wait a little bit longer. And he was like, okay, sure. Um, and, you know, so we waited a few minutes longer and then my husband got to cut the cord and 
Um, I, the delivery of the placenta, thankfully, like was super easy. That was kind of like, in my mind, the last hurdle before I was really done. Um, but it just came right out and um, he, they started working on um, my repair, um, which I, you know, you would think is normally something that would, you would be very like concerned about and <laughs> like someone is stitching you up, but I just like could barely even notice that we were just so wrapped up in our baby. Mm, that sounds like even, you know, I'm going back to the fact that you wanted to have a birth center birth. Yeah. And it sounds that even though you had these induction-like process at the hospital, that especially towards the end, there it was very, all in all, it was very extremely respectful of your wishes. And with your midwives, their support and your doula, like it seemed like you mentioned, you said oh, it was in, still in my little bubble, that that bubble was protected. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and they like, they were just amazing. And I think I couldn't imagine a better birth experience. Like even if we had gotten to go to the birth center, like I just can't imagine how it could have been any better than it was, um, at the hospital. Like they were just amazing. Um, and yeah, got to start breastfeeding and, you know, our, our night stay in the hospital was still great. I think we saw like this three different lactation consultants, but they all came in within like five minutes of calling them. Like they were so supportive of that. And um, I, I think, I think it has, this hospital has like a baby friendly designation, but they're certainly super supportive of breastfeeding and preserving the golden hour and, and all of that. It was just amazing. And you mentioned that this was a placental abruption. What clued them yeah. into that that was? Was there any specific sign or was it more just hindsight? Yeah. So once the placenta was delivered um, and I know my midwife was there and she was kind of asking like about it and if they saw anything. And he mentioned that there was a small clot behind the placenta, which is, was their indication that it was, um, you know, a small placental abruption. So it was never one that was large enough to compromise oxygen supply or anything like that. But that was the cause of the bleeding was the small clot behind the placenta that for whatever reason, it had just started to separate early. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, that's one of the things I really appreciate you sharing your story um, because the idea of placental abruption can be so incredibly scary. And I'm not saying that there aren't, you know, if it's a full placental abruption, there are situations where it's really, really nerve wracking and dangerous. Um, yeah. but it's, I appreciate hearing that it's not a black and white situation that right, there right. are grays in between that can be managed and you can still have a conversation around it, being mindful of the circumstances, like of this beautiful birth story that you described that right. includes some sort of placental abruption. Like that's something that right. it, in going into it, I don't think when thinking about a birth with placental abruption, people don't think these two things can even happen together. Right. Like having a, like a peaceful, um, you know, mostly non-medicated birth. Um, yeah. And I think if, if the situation could have been very different, like if we had ended up with at a different hospital or with different doctors, I think it easily, there could have been people who were like, Oh, unexplained bleeding, like let's automatically do a C-section, like better safe than sorry. Um, but just the fact that they, you know, were looking at the situation for what it was and that the baby was doing okay and that we got to have conversations and we got to take our time. Um, and, you know, at every stage in the process, at check-in, at starting to at, 
at pushing and things like that. Um, it just allowed, you know, this experience to unfold as it did. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to in any way be dismissive about placental abruptions. I want to make right, sure I'm not, you know, people listen, I'm not being dismissive of that, but I'm saying it's not black and white. And right. so, yeah, thank you so much for sharing this. And, and yeah, I'm thank you so much. Thrilled that you got yeah, to you. have this experience that was so beautiful um, and that you felt so empowered and you felt it was what you wanted, even though it wasn't what you wanted. Right. Yeah. Was yeah it there, was amazing. Yeah. Was there anything, Elena, that you wanted to make sure you mentioned that we didn't get to? Um, I will say one thing that the nurses um, that I noticed um, when I was, before I was in total labor land that the nurses were really great about was that every shift change, um, they would just like introduce me to the new nurse and go over everything that we had talked about so that I wasn't like having to repeat my wishes over and over again. So they would say, you know, this is Elena. She's here from a birth center transfer. Here's what's going on. Here's what they want. They want to do delayed cord clamping and skin to skin. She's going to breastfeed. Um, like she's like trying to not get an epidural and they would like just go over all of that with the new nurses. So, um, but we weren't having to do that work over and over again. Like, and and, but that again, just contributed to like, okay, they really care about like trying to give me, um, you know, the experience that we want as much as possible. Like they're, they're taking their own time to, um, to lay this out, um, at every shift change. And I, that meant a lot to me as well. Yeah. And that sounds like really great. Like I know that every shift change, they do that, but it seems that what I'm hearing is that the fact that they were doing it in front of you, because sometimes they do it in, in not in the birthing room. So the fact that they were doing in front of you helped you and that you could hear like not just whispering in the corner, but actually in a way that included you in that the transfer of care yeah. between one nurse to another really it, it seems like that felt reassuring and helpful to you for sure for sure oh so good yeah i'm going to share that with some of the my nurse friends because i know they obviously share with each other what's going on but that it can be helpful to have it be done yeah. Depending on when the, you know, what's going on in labor with right. the client. But yeah, right. excellent. Well, thank you so very much for talking with me today. This has been great. Yeah, thank you. I loved, loved every minute of it. Great. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages, and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Oh, and here's what Elena had for breakfast. Uh, scrambled eggs and some clementine oranges. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2020 by Adriana Lozada.